0: This reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 16th verse. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the reading. Now what? That's the exasperated cry of a parent whose young child just keeps saying, mommy, daddy, and you go and you help them and then you come back and you're trying to do your work and then they call you again, mommy, daddy, now what? It's the exasperated cry of many of us in a pandemic as the news comes out and the things change so much. First, don't touch anything. Wash your hands, which you should still be doing, by the way. But now we hear things that can't be, it can't be contacted via surfaces so much, or it can be, it's even worse. Don't get, don't get too, too close to people. Don't get too far away from people. Now what? And then your work says, oh, well, now we're coming back into the office. And if you have young children and both of you are working, one of you then needs to go back into the office if you haven't already been there. And how do you manage childcare? How do you manage, how you're going to manage your family? Now what? And then we see scenes of people being beaten, of people being killed, people being heavily injured by those who are called to protect and to serve all of us. And we say, now what? Every time you open up your browser or if you open a paper, look at the news, I can't imagine that you're not saying, now what? And sometimes I think, as I've been considering that question, now what? I think the exasperation comes from this idea that we have in our minds that, that we have control over things. And for a lot of us, our lives up to this point have been pretty organized and pretty seemingly controllable. We live in houses. We have water. We have electricity. We have clothes. We have food. We have jobs. We're healthy and well. Again, I'm just talking about maybe for the majority of folks that might be listening today. And so, it feels like pretty controllable. I can make things happen. I can, I can go to work and I can lead my team and I, we can move things forward and we can do this and do that. And, and so, we get this illusion of control. And so, when things start to go a little haywire, especially if more things than one or two at one time start to go haywire, we're like, now What? But as my dad would say, I think we come by this idea honestly. If you've ever looked at a picture of a food chain, where's the human being? They're either at the top or they're not even on the page. They're not even there because we make the assumption that human beings are the top of the food chain. My wife reminded me the other day that most of the time humans aren't in the food chain because we're omnivores, not strictly carnivores, and that carnivores, the big ones, especially the big cats generally, are the ones that are at the top of the food chain. Okay, thank you science teacher, I appreciate that. But I think we make this assumption that human beings are at the top of the food chain. And what's fascinating about that is I think that that goes into a larger term called human exceptionalism. Meaning we think that humans are exceptional in the universe, that human beings are exceptional in the universe. And to be honest, if if you look at our scriptures, it's almost codified in there. Who gets created last in Genesis? Who gets created last? Right? The woman, human beings, right? So really the woman should be at the top of the food chain, just remember that, okay? Okay? We, you heard it here first. But it's human beings, created last. They get to name the animals. They are given charge, at least in the Garden of Eden, they are given charge to till the garden and to care for it. It isn't until after the flood, they're cast out of the garden and then after the flood and Noah, that at least in the Bible, that it says that human beings are given the animals to eat for food, which is interesting. Interesting. And then in Psalm 8, in Psalm 8, it says, well, God, who are mortals that you're mindful of them? You have made them a little lower than the angels or than than the gods is really how it should be translated, but lower than the angels. You've given them honor and you've given them glory and you've given them dominion over all the animals, over all the things of the earth. And so, this human exceptionalism comes then down in history, and we human beings have looked at that word, especially when it came into English, and when it's translated into as dominion, especially in the Western world, I'm going to speak about that more because I know that world a lot better, especially in the Western world, we white Westerners took that to mean that we could use the earth and its resources for whatever purposes we wanted and we didn't necessarily need to care for them. They were ours to use however we wanted. And so I think that that then extrapolated itself so that we felt like we had this power of control and manipulation to be able to, to do whatever we wanted in, in whatever case we wanted. And then it comes down, human exceptionalism comes down, and then especially later on, white Western exceptionalism comes down. In the 1400s, the Pope makes an edict. Any white, any, oh, excuse me, any civilized nation, any civilized, and you need to read into that, any white Christian nation can basically, and I don't have the exact language, but basically can go into any uncivilized nation, which means some indigenous culture that had been there before it was discovered, and can take whatever they want, and they do not have to pay those who already occupy the land. An edict from the Pope, the highest religious authority at the time. This is, I think this pre, just predates the Reformation. And so now imagine then how that kicks off even more colonialism, especially starting with the Britons and then coming over to America If you haven't read a book called Richmond's Unhealed History, I recommend it to you because it gives you great insight into how our country was founded, but especially Virginia and Richmond in particular, all the way up to pretty much the modern era, about how this, in my opinion, this human exceptionalism, this white human exceptionalism has played out into our era. It's fascinating to me. And so this exceptionalism has, has led us then to, to be able to feel like we can make judgments about people who don't look like us and we can manipulate and control them because we've been given dominion. We've been given this power and control over things by God Almighty. Wow. Man, I generalize, right? That... We took dominion and we trampled all over the honor and glory given by God to every human being for our own purposes. And I generalized there. Over human history, we also took that thought about dominion, and Christians especially have taken the power given by God to build hospitals, to build schools, to encourage arts and music, to lift up the oppressed, and to work for peace. Not everyone but many. We've done many good things and that is, that's what's also so interesting about us human beings is that in Genesis, it says God created everything and it was good, including us. And then very soon afterward, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And we realize as that story gets played out over the Old Testament and the new and into our own lives, we realize that we we are good and we are broken. And that our tendency is, we can do many amazing and wonderful things, but we can also take those many wonderful things and almost destroy ourselves. We can take the resources of the earth and create technologies and create ways of doing things that lead us into places that 100 years ago people would have, if you'd have told them we were doing these things, They would have been like, what? Even just what we're doing now. But we can take this kind of technology and we can turn it against other people and against ourselves because we're broken. And so I wanna go to this scripture. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, their world had been utterly changed. I'm sure they were saying, now what? We followed this guy. He was believed to be the Messiah. We believed he was the Messiah. And then he keeps talking about having to go away. And then he's betrayed by one of our own. And then he gets hung on the cross. He dies. And now we've heard that he's alive. And he's appeared to some of us. And we're supposed to go meet him. Now what? Now what are we supposed to do? And so they go to the mountain, and just, if you didn't catch it in the reading, it's poignant, it's bittersweet, because it says, the eleven went, because Judas killed himself. And so, just imagine what that did in that that little community of twelve, how that affected them, how they were saying, now what? And so they go and they meet Jesus And it says when they saw him They worshipped him And this I want you to pay attention to this, But some doubted I think we lift up the disciples As these, these paragons of faith Like they just never You read the scripture you realize they're, just, they're human beings just like you and me They have their doubts They have their fears And yet they are capable of amazing things And they worshipped him And some doubted the word here is in Greek is "disatso," which, which actually means standing in two places at once. You might think of it as having two minds about something. Because I don't know about you, like there are definitely times when I've chosen a path and I'm pretty sure that's the right thing, but I get into it and I'm like, ooh, is this right? Is this where I should go? I, 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 I'll get some doubt and sometimes it stops me. And sometimes I'm able to sort of overcome that doubt or, or move through it in, in a way that, that, that because I'm of two minds about it. And, when you're, and often when you're of two minds about something, it's really hard to move forward. Even though they'd been with Jesus this whole time, they weren't all necessarily 100% sure about things. And yet, here's what Jesus does. He says, he looks at all of them. He doesn't just say, oh, you who are worshiping me just you who are worshiping me in this, in, this in, in, a, in a wonderful and perfect way, as we might imagine that they were, of course. He doesn't say all of you who are worshiping me. He, he looks at all of them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He doesn't just give this commission to those who are somehow perfect faith. He gives it to all of them. They were saying, now what? And he says, here's what. I want you to go. I want to make disciples. And, and the word there for disciples means learners, followers. And so as I was talking with the kids earlier about teaching We do not have to have a perfect faith or think that we are exceptional in order to be faithful followers of Christ and to seek out how to do his work in the world today. God has given us, according to the scripture, God has given us honor and glory, and, and dominion. And I like to use the word stewardship, meaning we've been given things to steward, to take care of. These are not ours. These bodies are not ours. We're stewards of them. The homes, and the cars, and the houses, and, and the children, and the lovers, and the wives, and the spouses, and the husbands, and the friends, those are gifts given to us that are temporary. We are called to be stewards of them. The resources that we have, we're called to be stewards of them. All of our power, all of whatever control we think we have is derivative from the power and the sovereignty of God. Oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if that doesn't humble us in some ways, if that doesn't cause us to step back and to say, what would God do with the resources that I've been given. What would God give us? How would God have us act? Who would God have us come alongside of in this time? What priorities do we need to have if we are to be those who are to teach people about Jesus and to follow in his way as faithfully as we can, even when we have doubt. And so I've been wondering a lot about human exceptionalism and I've had lots of doubts, especially in this time of pandemic and social upheaval about whether I can make a difference at all. I'm guessing you may have had a similar question. Been doubting whether I can make a difference at all. It seems so big, so hard, so much. But then I remember Jesus' words to the disciples at the very end, which often gets sort of left off to the side because of this great commission. He says this to them. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Human beings... God does not abandon us, does not abandon creation, does not abandon us just because we cannot seem to get it right. God does not forsake us. God calls us in Jesus through the Spirit to continually, even in our doubt, to be disciples and learners and teachers so that we can live the faith. For God's power and sovereignty is what's important here because our power and, and our dominion, our stewardship is always derivative from God. And God's call to teach and to live as his disciples is what ought to inform our days and our deeds. And when we doubt, we can dive deep into those doubts because we can trust that Jesus, through the Spirit, is with us always at all times and in all places and that this is where we find our purpose and our meaning, not in some form of exceptionalism or its derivatives, which are tribalism or individualism, because all of those things lead to narcissism, the focus on ourselves only. We are disciples learners and followers, not because of what we've done or some confession we've made or some money we've given to the church, but because of what God has done and what God is doing in the midst of all of us. And this is good news. This is good news. Because we need to not think of ourselves higher than we ought. We need to find ourselves in right relationship with God to humble ourselves To know that our power, our honor, our glory, our righteousness is all comes from God. And what God says to us is in me, you can do everything. And so if you've been saying, now what? Jesus says, here's what. Follow me, learn from me. Teach others, love others, care for all of humanity, no matter what it looks like. And take this message of hope and love and grace to the ends of the earth. Now what? Here's what. Amen.